Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Darren Vaughn in for DG. Charles, I was kind of like coasting. I was at a level energy. And you just hit it and made it spike right there. Good start to the third and final hour. Turn it up to 11, man. BG, Brian Geisinger's in studio. ACCSports.com, ACC Sports Journal, Sports Channel 8, Buzzbeat Podcast, probably others. He's at bguys underscore bird on Twitter. So we briefly discussed the Elam ending yeah. of the NBA All-Star game and the excitement that it generated. I, I do want to talk about the midpoint of the NBA season um, because the Hornets continue to lose more and more. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> as opposed to their promising start to the season where we were like, oh, well, they're, they're probably not going to have that great oh, of a draft pick. They're on a two-game win streak They've right now. They've <laughs> regressed back to what they probably should have been all along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And despite winning a couple in a row, are, are going to have pretty good lottery odds, yes. I think, by season's end. Because the All-Star break isn't the even midway point. It's a little over halfway mm-hmm. through the regular season. Yeah, there really aren't that many games left. I mean, a lot of teams have played around 60 games at this point. Like, we're, we've only got about 20, 25 games left. It's crazy. Two months from now, the playoffs will be starting. Yeah, so, so I think especially once college basketball hits its final stretch in the conclusion of that season, that's when the more casual fan is going to get more mm-hmm. heavily invested. So I'll open it up generally to you and ask, you know, compared to what we might have felt at the beginning of the season – are things playing out as far as contenders are concerned about as we figured they would? I think there's one sort of like, because we're just talking about the lottery, um, I think there's sort of one glaring, you know, sort of uh, team that's probably at this point in the season people are used to, but if you looked at preseason predictions, like you weren't expecting Golden State to have the worst record in the NBA. Now you were expecting Steph Curry to play this. I mean, people still thought they yeah. could they could win fifty plus games and contend in the Western Conference. Well, and the word on Clay Thompson and his injury was that he too, might, was that oh well he could come back right in the nick of time. Like and right they could now, make a like like, like yeah. right now, basically like post All Star break. Um, and then obviously Curry's injury just changed everything. And obviously, as they have sort of like gotten in the driver's seat for uh, a top three pick, they have not rushed Curry back. He like there have been videos of him seemingly playing basketball outside of actually yeah um and and they've (laughs) you know they traded d'angelo russell who was a floor raiser for them potentially and you know draymond sort of been in and out of the lineup too uh they traded willie collie stein like they've moved guys around so uh, they've really pared down down the season so i think that's sort of like the one surprise um I do think toronto has been better than probably people expected them to be you lose Kawhi leonard um, and here they are. They're 40 and 15. Like, they're still playing excellent basketball. Um, they just got done with a 15-game winning streak just before the All-Star break yeah, ended. After losing Kawhi, that's probably another of the big surprises and, to and, me. And Lowry's come back. He's been great. Siakam, Pascal Siakam, an All-Star for the first time. He made a leap. OG Ananobi, a third-year forward out of Indiana. He made a leap this year. Uh, Fred Van Vliet has been phenomenal in a contract season. Uh, but they lost they lost Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard, um, who are like on the two front runners in the Western Conference right now to perhaps come out of the West um, in the, with the two, L- two L.A. teams. But as far as other surprises go, I wouldn't consider Oklahoma City necessarily a contender. 
to win uh, the Western Conference, but the fact that they're six in the West right now with Chris Paul really um, pushing that ship and really getting all the young guys on board. I think a lot of people saw them as a, a, a trade partner before the season, heading into the trade deadline, and they didn't really make any moves. Like Danilo Gallinari was not traded. Dennis Schroeder, not traded. Steven Adams, not traded. Chris Paul, tougher to move because of the contract, not traded. Yeah, and, um, and he was certainly rumored to be on the move with before the, this, this right. surge that they made toward mid-year. And, I mean, Schroeder and Gallinari, these were guys that if you, you could, you know, pull up rumors articles from January or December or whatever. And yeah, a lot of people would be thinking like, wow, these guys probably going to be moved by the middle of February. They're still there. And like, they, they're going for it and and kudos to them. And they still have a a ton of draft capital due to the Paul George trade, due to the the Westbrook trade. Like they've got stuff They you know, I could see why they were like, where they were sort of okay to sit out adding more assets and, uh, and just willing to compete. I don't think they're a contender necessarily in the West, but the fact that they're playing this well, I think that's a little bit of a surprise. Toronto being this good, that's a little bit of a surprise. And I think Philadelphia, um, I mean, Philadelphia is really, really good. And the Sixers are a top five defense, but heading into the All-Star break, they were, I think, like around 20th in the league in offensive efficiency. Um, this is a team myself and that a lot of people, myself included, thought would win the East. And they still might. But if the playoffs started tonight, you know, they'd be on the road against Miami. Um, so I think, I think their expectations were higher, but Boston and Toronto have been better. Milwaukee came in with high expectations. They've been a little bit better than probably people expected them to be too. But I would say if you were to sort of ask, like, the biggest surprise, I think it would be that Golden State has just been MIA the entire season because they're chasing the number one pick after all these departures and injuries. Um, I, think, I think Houston – what they're doing now, what they decided to do at the trade deadline, adding Robert Covington, I think that's fascinating. They yeah, picked they, up they, a couple veteran free agents as of this morning, that, right? Yes, that they did. They added um, Damari Carroll and Jeff Green. They've really gone all in on small ball, and and you know they're playing PJ Tucker at the five, starting him at the five, and they're switching everything. I think that's sort of fascinating, and I'll be curious to see where that propels Houston to. I, I feel like they're probably probably can't get above fourth in the West unless things really break down with one of those top three teams who seem to have sort of um, isolated themselves, you know, the two LA teams in Denver. But um, I, so I think there's nothing, no, no two crazy surprises, but I do think the Raptors, I just don't think you could have seen them being this good. They were another team that people thought might be a, a trade suitor heading into the season. Like, oh, they'll trade Gasol, maybe Lowry, Ibaka. Some of those contracts are expiring. Well, and, I, I think, and, they, and they stood back, they kept the core together. Both yeah. Toronto and Oklahoma City did that. And um, I hope they're rewarded with it with some uh, with some playoff victories. And Toronto in particular is just one of those teams that you envisioned, oh, okay, they're going to win this championship and then fall back down into mm-hmm. mediocrity. So if they've got assets, they're going to get rid of them and look to build for five years well, from now well, as opposed to... They're one of the teams that has 2021 circled as a could we land Giannis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And speaking of Giannis, the Bucks to me, have over the past three years in particular just gotten better with each mm-hmm. season as he has individually. Yes. He's been phenomenal this year. I mean, they're the, the best. MVP. He's the front runner. Yeah, so they're the best team in the NBA. His progression is obviously a factor in this. Um, how how much better are they than, than, say, the number two seed Raptors in the, in the East? I mean, it's one of those things that's tough. Like, in terms of, like, if we're looking at – these these metrics that we have to look at we have wins and losses we have point differential we have 
offensive efficiency. We have defensive efficiency. We, we can look at all this different stuff. You know, they really have. Like, they've separated themselves. It's not just the best team in the East, but in terms of these, again, looking at their regular season resume, they've been the best team in basketball so far this season, um, period. Like, it's, I don't even think, like, I, again, just looking, we're not, like, projecting out to no, the season No, I don't know that yet. there's an argument to be made. Right. You, you might like LeBron and the Lakers, mm-hmm. who now are sitting at number one in the West, yeah. but I, I don't think you can say that definitively they're better. The true test from Milwaukee, though, will come in the postseason. That's when we'll really, re- I think that's when we'll learn just how much they have or have not separated themselves from these other teams um, because they were a regular season juggernaut a season ago. Now they've taken a jump. Um, Middleton, Chris Middleton is, was an all-star again this year. He's been phenomenal. Giannis has been better this year. Phenomenal. Eric Bledsoe's had another strong regular season. Um, we'll see what happens. He's, he's had some postseason struggles the last two seasons going back to 2018 and 2019. They need him to be good. There's no Malcolm Brogdon this season. Um, they picked up Marvin Williams, they right? They picked up Marvin Williams. is a nice – I think he's an upgrade over Ersan Ilyasova. He can give him a stretch five. He can play next to Giannis and next to Middleton. Um, he's a wonderful fit. I think there's a reason why um, he was bought out and scooped up very quickly. Like, there, it's unfortunate for the Hornets that there was – they weren't able to find any sort of traction to trade him, which he's one of those guys heading into the season. I think you could have thought, you know, maybe they could, they could fish a team for a second-round pick or something like that. But you knew this guy in the buyout market, there'd be suitors because – he can post up on switches. He can hit threes. He can guard a couple positions. He's a great locker room guy. And the Bucks were so worried about their chemistry is so good this year. They, 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 that's actually why I think one of the reasons why they didn't want to trade anybody. They were less worried about bringing someone in than they were shipping someone out because the vibes are just so good. But Marvin's the perfect guy to bring in that situation. He has been the unquestioned leader of the Hornets since Kemba left. Um, you know, someone else is going to have to take that baton now. Uh, probably one of the young guys in Charlotte, but Marvin's a perfect addition for them. And I just, we're going to judge them on the success of this season and the come postseason because of a couple of reasons. Because they moved Brogdon in the offseason. Now they got a first round pick out of that. So that's sort of a good thing for them, but maybe that's burning a hole in their pocket at the moment. But that's the thing that they have. But they, they got rid of Brogdon. Um, and this summer is not a free agency summer for Giannis, but. 2021 is when he would hypothetically be an unrestricted free agent for the first time in his career. This summer, though, they can agree on an extension. Now, if you win a title, you got to think your odds are pretty good at extending Giannis. If you, let's say you don't, let's say you fall short again in the Eastern, let's say you don't even make it out of the Eastern Conference again, um, and let's just say you are you are unable. To extend Giannis, well, then you got to play all of. The, and I know Bucks fans don't want to hear that. Like it's and it's it's been talked about on ESPN probably a little too much this season. Um, but yeah, you'll go into next season with Giannis, you know, as a, essentially as an expiring contract. And so there's a lot riding on them this season, not just to prove that hey, our regular season metrics and numbers they're legit. We're awesome. We're a 70 win team. That's the that's the rate that we play at. But that can we win a title with the MVP? And in a second all-star um, as we're heading into the most important summer in the history of the franchise. Um, so they got a lot riding on them. Um, but as of right now, they've been an absolute buzzsaw in the regular season. And we'll just see how they adjust when they play really good half-court defense come playoff time. He's Brian Geisinger. He's going to hang around for one more segment. And BG, uh, we mentioned one ex-Hornet and Marvin Williams. And mm-hmm. we're going to do the sports radio equivalent 
of Facebook creeping on your ex-girlfriend All right. on the other side. And we'll gotcha. talk about the Boston Celtics okay. and Kimba Walker because they are good. I don't know if it's an exact addition by subtraction with the Kyrie Irving, Kimba Walker swap, mm-hmm. but they're they're very good. So I'll pick your brain about gotcha. that on the other side. Uh, Bill Ripken still to come here on the David Glenn Show. More with BG on the other side. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show. David Glenn Show here. DG's out. Darren Vaught here. I'm in. BG, Brian Geisinger's in studio with me. And we're going to do the sports radio equivalent of hopping on Facebook and doing what you shouldn't do. Uh Uh-oh. Creeping on an (laughs) ex-girlfriend. In this case, proverbially, of course, BG. The ex-girlfriend is an ex-Charlotte Hornet. Mm -hmm. Kimba Walker. Greatest player in the franchise's history by many accounts. Yes. Now a Boston Celtic mm-hmm. and their point guard as he replaced Kyrie Irving, who jumped ship to the Brooklyn Nets. The Celtics are currently third in the East and, a, I mean, no doubt a title contender, right? Yes, easily. Um, top five in offense and top five in defense. Uh, I think along with just the Lakers and the Bucks, who we were discussing on the other side, uh, the Clippers are very close to this as well, but I think just outside. But they're top five in both offense and defense efficiency. They're number, I think, two or three in the NBA net rating. Um, Kemba's been wonderful. Another all-star appearance for him, his fourth in the last four straight years with that. He is once again um, in his age 29 season has not shown much regression at all. He's been largely the same player, uh, a pick-and-roll, a high, high-caliber pick-and-roll engine that's basically in his own category uh, along with Damian Lillard in terms of volume and efficiency out of the pick and roll. Uh, Curry's been there before. Um, and Dame, for the record, has been tremendous D- this D- I mean, Dame's, and he's been on just an absolute heater the last month. Luca has sort of entered this category for a little bit. Devontae Graham earlier in the season was here. Trey Young also in this, just the high volume of pick and roll possessions with the high efficiency. There, these, these are like the select few. LeBron is sort of in this category too. Um... But I do think it is a little interesting, though, that you have Kemba in the prime of his career, and he's had another. He's having a phenomenal season. Um, he is continuing, though, to in some clutch minutes, opposing teams put length on him, and he can struggle in those situations. This yeah. happened a lot in Charlotte, but well, that's especially okay. when you're the only guy your team can right. go to in those moments. But see, that's no longer the case now. Exactly. Um, there's another lever to pull, and that is Jason Tatum, and he's been sensational. Um, Tatum all year has been phenomenal and really though the last probably two months or so he's been just incredible and has turned into a wonderful pick and roll player um, in terms of getting his own shot out of those looks and setting up for others his pull-up three-point shooting has been phenomenal his catch-and-shoot efficiency phenomenal his team defense elite Um, he's turned into a wonderful two-way player and he's still so young there's so much ahead for him Um, And so now Kemba basically just gets to focus on being an awesome second guy 
And at some nights, yeah, it's going to be his, you know, he's still going to have the ball most and he's still going to use a ton of possessions. It's not like he's taking a backseat to anybody, but um, he's got now you get to see Kemba for the first time ever in his career with a guy that is probably the alpha. This, like Kemba's not the alpha of the team. You know, it's been this is since, since he came online as a star player. They were, when he was younger in his career, you know, he, he was not nearly the player that he is now. And it was sort of Al Jefferson's team in Charlotte. Um, and that's really changed now. And you're seeing him sort of come sort of in full bloom now. And, and Tatum's just going to keep getting better. And they've got great secondary weapons with Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown. And Marcus Smart is an ultimate winning player. And I think they probably would have liked to upgrade it some things at the deadline, like their center rotation. It can be like, a, I mean, Daniel Tice is a very good center. Um, but Ennis Cantor is their backup or Robert Williams, the time Lord is their other guy. Like, I think they would have maybe liked to upgrade the center position or upgrade some of their backup guard minutes. They play about 20 minutes a game with Brad Wanamaker on the court. Um, but for any real trade that they're going to pull at the deadline, they're going to end up having to move Tice or Marcus Smart. And they chose not to do that. And I commend them for sitting pat and they're just going to go to war with their guys. And, um, the one thing I will say is though, is like, I do, I think I can speak for a lot of people of the, if not most people in the Charlotte Hornets, you know, community fans, media types, anyone who's been around the team the last decade or so, um, you, there's no bitterness, right? Like Kemba left on as Kemba left on great terms with the fans and with the community and with those that cover and follow the team seriously. And I think everyone's going to get a kick. Everyone who followed him in Charlotte is getting a kick out of seeing him do it now in Boston. Certainly, there's some there's some FOMO, right? You know, the, but I, it gives it gives the Hornets who are you know in the running to get the number one pick it gives the but it feels like you've got like a you got someone in the fight in the playoffs too that you can kind of pull <laughs> so you got marvin with the bucks yeah and you have kemba and perhaps we'll see those teams clash on the eastern conference finals yeah that, that could very well happen um kemba's is a wonderful competitor and i think you sort of teased this aspect of it before the before the the last break but um you know when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and those guys sort of started coming on in Boston, Terry Rozier before he went to Charlotte, uh, Kyrie was sort of not Kyrie Irving when he was there was sort of like less willing to share the marquee with those other names. Yeah. And, and with well, Kemba, and it's it's within Kemba's instinct, one hundred percent, to say to, to be, be deferential. Yes, and, and even even in the beginning of the tenure with the Celtics, to a fault. Like, yeah. like, there were stories about you know Gordon Hayward kind of mm-hmm. telling him. Hey, you, we brought you here for a reason. You're yeah. going to have to to take control and step up when it's your time to do so. So, uh, no, it's it's a cool situation for Kemba because he gets to be, I, I think, get to be himself a little bit more One, as well as be on a, a, a winning basketball team. 100%. And this team as well. And, like, all the stories that were written about people griping about Brad Stevens and his mismanagement of last season. Stevens was an excellent coach. It was sort of the first time in his career that he had faced any sort of, like, real criticism um, the way the last season sort of floundered and man, they were bad come playoff time. But um, but now there's been none of that this season. Like it's been smooth sailing um, and they have several uh, high level isolation and pick and roll creators with Tatum and Kemba that for leverage situations in the playoffs, they're going to be tough. They're going to be really tough to defend. You do have to sort of worry about, you know, in tight moments, what do you do with Kemba? Because he can be a little bit of a liability defensively. Um He's smaller. He's not a great defender, et cetera. But they can work around that, just like they did with Isaiah Thomas, with Brad Stevens, just like they did with Kyrie Irving, with Brad Stevens, too. And they have excellent team defenders everywhere else on the court. So Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Daniel Tice, 
Um, so yeah, this team is set up. They could absolutely come out of the East. Um, they're, they're a, this is an excellent basketball team, and it would be wonderful to see Kemba and Marvin face off in the conference finals in the East, and it would be great to see one of them contend for an NBA title ring too. Do you think he thinks about the Hornets? <laughs> Keep, keeping the Kemba. analogy here. Does, yeah, does, right. Does, does he think about us? Over I th- here, <laughs> I think so. And I think it's I think it's with because like they they've played a couple times and he had the in early November they were sort of able to get it out of the way early in the year but yeah. like he returned to Charlotte and that helped. I, I mean ultimately this guy he's going to have his jersey hang from the Raptors at Spectrum. There's going to be he's the greatest Hornet of all time. Yeah. Um. I think it helps that he has he had good relationships with people. I mean he and MJ good relationship. He and James Borrego good relationship. He and Del Curry who is sort of Mr. Hornet already and is the color commentator. He and Del clearly grew close to, close together during Kemba's time in Charlotte as well. So yeah, I think because of that it, it goes to show that like even though there wasn't a lot of winning in Charlotte that there were there were serious bonds and that speaks to the character of those who work in the organization and really to Kemba Walker who had to carried that team for years I and mean, i watched literally every game the last four seasons he played there and he carried through some them he carried that team through some dark times too um but yeah it to to sort of draw on the analogy a little bit more it's like the <laughs> you get out of a relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you kind of know that like hey there's gonna be a little bit of a weird period after that but we can come back together and still be friends that doesn't work for everybody in fact perhaps most relationships it doesn't work that way especially when you know, but this given the, given the uh, the the analogy yeah. as it's currently being used with NBA basketball yeah. teams and professional basketball players, that's not usually yes. how it works. And if the fans are the kids in this analogy too, you you know you're sort of doing it for the kids <laughs> here as well too. But uh, but no, like that, I I do think it is a testament to how rare um, the relationship was between Kemba and franchise normally when we talk about these things with between a franchise player and in an organization a city it has to do with a lot of winning you know it's like the either either that that athlete and that team they 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 could never quite break through to win a title or they finally did and there's so much celebration or frustration around those events but with Kemba it was the guy that's the guy that is the franchise player on the team that loses 60 percent of its games you know um and it's trying desperately to assemble these playoff rosters but can never crack into it um, and again, so I, yeah, it's rare and it's special. And, and that's what makes Kemba one of the coolest superstars in all of professional sports. And in terms of what he left behind mm-hmm. in Charlotte, look, 18 and 36. So an appropriately <laughs> bad record. Yeah. Not a good team. But we just saw Miles Bridges take the Rising Stars Challenge mm-hmm. MVP award. That's indicative of, of something yeah. with Miles and, yeah. and some sort of potential there. No, there's some good and, young and people, especially in the triangle, uh, you know, Raleigh, where Devontae Graham is mm-hmm. from, people are going nuts about the season he's having. I mean, yeah. he, he's, he's if, if not for another North Carolina product, Brandon Ingram, Graham might be the most improved player in the NBA. Yeah. Yes, and, uh, Bam uh, Adebayo, another North Carolina product, yeah. would also like to have a say sure. in that conversation. Yeah. It was crazy that, just side note, in the All-Star game this season, uh, there were three former Mr. Basketballs in the state of North Carolina that made the All-Star game with Chris Paul, Bam Adebayo, and Brandon Ingram, which is pretty small That's little cool. fact. It's pretty neat. Uh, yeah, I mean, Devontae, after, I mean, he's cooled off. He was going to regress some after just an incredible start. But you can see, like, that Kemba left, but you can still see his imprints on Devontae Graham. You can see them on Malik Monk, who's made a jump. P.J. Washington, he, he had a, the last two or three weeks before the All-Star break, he, he, had a, he just looked like he needed a break from basketball. Um, but, yeah, there's some good young players in the pipeline 
for the Hornets. Cody Martin, another in-state North Carolina prospect from from Moxville. I still think like, Cupcheck drafted the wrong Martin, but the, he's done well. The, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, and but like they just have like the, so much of the roster are guys that the, the organization drafted over the last three years, going back to 2017, um, and they have all they own all of their first-round picks going forward. They're set up to have about $23 million in cap space this summer. They're going to have more the following year. They can work as a, a dumping ground for salary to add assets. They're going to get another high draft pick. They could get the number one pick this season. Now, that's not the prize it was a year ago with Zion. Yeah. Um, but they are going to get, They have a chance to get a good player, to get a top-five pick, and, and to keep adding to this. And um, and so, yeah, like I, it's one of those things where the, if they to retain Kemba, they were going to have to move some stuff around, and it was going to sort of – hamstring aspects of the franchise going forward in terms of what the, the what the books and spreadsheets look like but um balance sheets for that matter um but now the, it, it it gave it, it like it, it was an incision a clean cut um and it allows the franchise to Kemba to go live his best life and for the franchise to sort of go through the rebirth that it probably had been sort of needing for a while now I mean there's a case well, to I mean, be made it delayed it there's a, a case to be made that large the, way because of Kimba being there, yeah, I think. No, one hundred percent. I mean, you, I, you can find things that I wrote or said in the the winter of twenty seventeen. Look, looking at the twenty eighteen trade deadline, thinking like, hey, they should probably consider moving Kemba. Um, that seemed like you know craziness at the time, but it was true because after that deadline, he became an expiring contract effectively. Um, and yeah, so it didn't work out, but it doesn't mean it wasn't fun and enjoyable, and it doesn't mean that the franchise is in a bad spot right now. They have clean. They have clean books on the horizon coming up. They own all of their picks, and they've shown the last couple of years that they've they can find some success in the draft. And so you just got to keep that. You just stay patient. Draft another good. You know, take another crank at the slot machine. Draft another good player. Try to add assets. Use your cap space wisely, and uh, and just try to keep the thing moving forward. So hopeful for the Hornets, you I, are BG, Brian I think Geisinger so. yeah. of uh, accsports.com, the ACC Sports Journal. Check out the BuzzBeat podcast. Those guys have a lot of fun with that, as well as uh, Sports Channel 8, which is on from mm-hmm. 10 to noon leading up into our program if you are in our triangle listening audience on 99.9 The Fan this, FM. This week, Charlotte, voice of the Hornets, play-by-play, radio for radio, John Fokey. Fokey, yeah. he will be on the podcast with us this nice. week. Nice, okay, very so good. Making his, in his second first, stop by. Yeah, in his first season mm-hmm. as the radio voice of the Hornets. I know you guys have had some... Some others involved with mm-hmm. the team and the broadcast teams there as well. So it's cool that they want to they want to come on and join us. I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, he's BG at Guys underscore Bird, my guy. You got a few hours here to get uh, get limber. I'm gonna start and, stretching out and now. Start stretching out for yeah. the media game at Cameron Indoor. I'll see you there. All right. See you then. All right. Uh, up on the other side, I, I recently talked to Bill Ripken of MLB Network for my. USA Baseball podcast covering the bases. It's the official podcast of USA Baseball about the state of the game because he just recently wrote a book about marrying old school and new school philosophies in a game that in a lot of areas is is not new school enough nearly. But at a time when too much technology in baseball has clearly become a problem and is part of this recent demise. So I'm going to give you a sneak peek into that podcast episode, which actually drops tomorrow. So uh, a part of that conversation with Bill Ripken, former Baltimore Oriole on the other side, Darren Vaught in for DG. This is the David Glenn show. 
Gary Player joining us. This morning, I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs, and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf, and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment, and God bless America. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. It's the David Glenn Show. Darren Vaught in for DG. Appreciate Brian Geisinger stopping by and being in studio. Been seeing a lot of that guy lately. He's been my analyst on a number of ESPN Plus games in the Big South. I'll see him a little bit later. Cameron Indoor Stadium, Duke Media Hoops Night. One time a year. And I'm playing, Will. No load management here. Although, admittedly, I haven't shot a basketball in a very, very, very long time. So I'm looking forward to thudding the back of the rim with a few threes, then maybe finding it, maybe not, and submitting to the idea that it's all good and fun and we're just going to go hang out and get a beer afterward. Anyways, uh, a couple of updates that I mentioned but haven't really delved into more from DG. Of course, as he returns tomorrow, I believe Randolph Childress is going to be with us prior to being honored with the rest of the 94-95 Wake Forest basketball team at the Joel. Um, Among others will be on tomorrow's program when DG returns. But I'm sure you guys saw the Daytona 500 wreck. Ryan Newman, super, super scary. Uh, Best I've seen, no update still from, uh, from that time yesterday when the word was doctors have indicated his injuries are not life-threatening, which was a huge, huge sigh of relief. Just an eerie feeling around that race as Denny Hamlin got his second consecutive Daytona 500 win. Uh, the other one I mentioned prior to a break, probably like an hour ago, Drew Brees has announced that he's going to come back and play quarterback again for the Saints. He was contemplating retirement, but uh, he announced earlier today that that is going to be the case he'll play at least one more season as the 40 plus year old Saints quarterback in the Panthers division of course in the NFC South so I'm using an entire segment here as a shameless plug you guys might know I'm the voice of USA Baseball including hosting their their official podcast covering the bases we have a new episode that drops tomorrow I found it to be a really interesting conversation with Bill Ripken kid brother young brother younger brother He's an adult now, so not a kid. But they used to call him Billy the Kid of Cal Ripken Jr., the Hall of Famer, and son of Cal Ripken Sr. Now, he comes from a really interesting background, a baseball family. We talk about that. You'll hear that part in this part of the interview. And he's also part of an interesting piece of pop culture. This is from USA Baseball's Covering the Bases, which I host. We put out two episodes per month. You can download it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, anywhere you choose to download and listen to your podcast but here's uh, a sampling of bill ripkin on covering the bases billy the kid good to have you with us i'm excited about your new book state of play the old school guide to new school baseball 
but first I want to talk about because you have such a unique baseball life, Bill, you being a second generation Major League Baseball player, ended up playing on the same team as your brother, Cal Ripken Jr., a, a Hall of Famer, uh, and you guys played for Cal Sr. What was that like early in your career playing on, on a team with your brother that was managed by your father? Well, you know, and I don't know if I can go back to when what it was like then. I know what it was like now when I look back on it in retrospect. Um, I don't think I appreciate it as much um, then as I do now, and I still think that this is the first and only time well, I know this is the first and only time that a father has managed his two sons on a big league club. So baseball has been played a long time. And here we are in a situation where we were the first to be able to do that and the only. And I'd look back on that and I said, damn, that's pretty cool right there. <laughs> it is really cool. And I mean, even even just at, as brothers, you know, I, I'm one of three boys in my family uh, and we all played sports, but you know, I have a twin brother who sort of diverted into the other pathway and played soccer. I was a baseball player, but my oldest brother was four years older, so he and I never really overlapped. I think that's about the difference between you and Cal. Had you guys really played on the same team that often up until that point? Uh, no, we didn't. And, you know, he was a senior when I was in eighth grade, so we weren't even in high school at the same time. So I think similarities are there. And I tell you, the other interesting thing was, you know, a lot of people say, well, that must have been great. Your dad was in baseball, got to help you guys a lot when you were growing up. Well, dad's schedule took him away from us Yeah. as much as anything. And us playing baseball together underneath, you know, senior supervision never happened. Um, he would catch us when he could, but really playing with junior for the first time is when I went to spring training in 1987 as a part of the 40-man roster. And then having your father there, um, it was kind of probably new to him as well, watching his boys play like he was able to. So baseball is very unique to us. Um, it, it has afforded us an awful lot of opportunity and done some pretty good things for us. But at the same time, a period of time went by where it seemed to take our father away from us um, and then only to get him back maybe later uh, when all our jobs called for the exact same time frame. So what extent does that go to now? I mean, obviously, Senior was managing in the big leagues before you were up to that level. Uh, how much or how often did he get to see you play or did he get to see you, you know, take cuts in a cage and give you pointers or that sort of thing? Well, if we could, um, you know, we, we would go take BP in a, in a big league venue from time to time, like yeah. Memorial Stadium. Um, I remember my seven, eight, and nine years of my life, seven, eight, and nine-year-old years of my life, Asheville, North Carolina was the last year, three years my dad managed in the minor leagues. So at nine years old, I was always lurking around a minor league ballpark, taking some swings off your dad, uh, not in the backyard, but on a double-A field. And, but playing, you know, baseball in Asheville, North Carolina as a nine-year-old, certainly the times never linked up to when your father could come watch you play. I think he might have seen one or two of my high school games in my entire career. Um, probably saw one or two of my minor league uh, games when he was able to get away during the all-star break and maybe come into a city that I was at. But uh, I think the real first time that he got me on a games, game situation was when I was playing for him in spring training in 1987. 
Um, Bill, before we get into the book, which I'm really interested in, I got my advanced copy and have been able to skim through it. Um, there's one more thing that's a part of your baseball story that I, I, I hopefully I don't ask it the same way that I'm sure gets annoying. But there was that 1989 Fleer card that involved the expletive on the knob of the bat that has become famous. And uh, granted, you are known for many, many, many more baseball things other than that. But just to give you an idea of this, I actually have a T-shirt that has that card built. Uh, it's like screen printed on the front of the T-shirt. And it's, it's without fail, every time I wear that shirt, there's a, you know, a middle-aged guy comes up to me and, and thinks it's incredible. Whereas, you know, most people won't understand what it is. Uh, they might recognize you, but even some baseball fans that would recognize that it's you don't quite know the story. But you find that niche of like a, 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 a hardcore baseball collector. And the first thing they want to see is like, oh, is it actually written on the knob of the bat here? So rather than asking like the story, I know that, that that's been asked at nauseum. Um, I'm just curious because now that it's become it's it's a it's a pop culture piece amongst sports fans and hardcore collectors. How often does that piece of of your your past or story, if it's even that much, uh, in baseball, make its way into your world? Well, it's at least one time a day, and you've already, you know, kind <laughs> I, of I, I got your one. <laughs> um, I would actually have to say that um, the fact that you actually have it on a T-shirt that makes you have more issues than I've ever had. <laughs> in my career whatsoever and you wear it around but it was something that happened a long 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 time ago and i've addressed the real story i've thrown it out there um it's something that i really care not to talk a whole lot about anymore um but it is it is a thing get it i'd like to move on sure no i i totally get it i totally get it um so let's talk about the book state of play the old school guide to new school baseball uh, it's a it's a concept that I'm really interested in for a book. What made you want to go down this path and put out this this publication? Well, I think over the last couple of years, the emergence and the more conversation swirling around a so-called new school um, has certainly been at the forefront. And I just get this feeling over these last two years that people think the old school baseball guy just threw bats and balls out on the field and said, go get them and never had a plan. And I just wanted to make a point, be very clear on this. The old school guy has always used numbers. He's always used information to formulate a plan to go about his business in the world of baseball. So to actually have an assumption or an implication out there that the old school baseball guy, these guys were just a bunch of big dummies that went out there and flew by the seat of their pants and had gut instincts on playing the game is just not accurate. Now, the, the old school guy, if he was in a situation right now in charge and he was given information by a new school guy that might be a little bit different than what he was used to, if he can translate it and he can have it explained to him in a way he says, this might be beneficial to help me in what I do baseball-wise, then I'm good with it. But if it doesn't, then you've got to accept the fact that I've been experienced, I know what I'm doing, and this doesn't really apply to me and my baseball world right now, so let's go in a different direction. So old school guys have always used information, and it just seems like new school guys have pointed to the fact that old school guys didn't, and I just wanted to make the point that that's just not true. So that's Bill Ripken on USA Baseball's Covering the Bases. Again, you can find it on Spotify, 
iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and uh, we actually, I think, on the USA Baseball's official YouTube page, they post every episode in sort of a, a little title screen form so you can listen to it there. Would greatly appreciate a subscribe, download, or listen from you. There it is. That's my shameless plug. Had a lot of fun with Bill Ripken because uh, there's, I guess, about 30 more minutes of that conversation. Uh, we'll wrap things up on the other side. Darren Vaught filling in for DG. This is the David Glenn Show. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? It was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to go back to racing. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Darren Vaught in for DG, closing out this edition of the David Glenn Show. He normally gives TV picks. Well, there's one ACC basketball game on tonight, but the real game, the true game, Charles Hadley, intern Will on the other side of the glass, is going to go down at Cameron Indoor Stadium. A congruence of all local sports media playing bad basketball into the night and then just going to have a beer or two afterward. Wish me luck. Hope that I can find that magic three-point shooting stroke that, well, never really was that great, but at its best, it was okay. It was okay. My thanks to Luke Hancock of the ACC Network, Bill Ripken of MLB Network, Brian Geisinger, BG of ACCSports.com and the ACC Sports Journal for joining me. DG, back tomorrow. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina. Love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.